message is ideals or reality. And if you remember last week, we didn't quite get through the message last week. So I'm going to recap just a little bit, pick up where we left off last week and go into to this week's message and, 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 and finish out the, the theme that we ta- started last week. And so we are in a series called Abide and the, the title of this morning's message is Ideals or Reality. And the Word of God says this in John chapter 15, verse number 4. It says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone says, does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into a fire and burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Father, in Jesus' name. We pray the prayer that we've been praying the past couple of weeks of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Lord God, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, Father. That we would know you at a deeper level. We would understand the new reality that we're walking into. Lord God, that the words we say in the gospel that we preach would not just be ideals that go through our head, but it would become a reality in our lifestyle and everything that we do. Lord, let us bring kingdom and kingdom culture to this world so we can influence the mountains that are standing in our way. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You, and, and as we're getting into this morning's message on abide this morning, what is abide all about? Abide is about this. It is about bringing the culture of heaven to this earth. It's getting so accustomed with the culture of heaven that we understand the presence of God, the power of God, the anointing of God, the things of God, the things that take place in heaven. Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's something about the culture of heaven that we must be so, become so accustomed to that when we walk in the realm of this earth, we literally become, as I said last week, the supernatural in the natural world. The supernatural in the natural world. And that's not going to come because we listen to Christian music or we just read the Bible occasionally. It's going to come because we abide in the culture of heaven so much so that we adopt that culture in our lives. And so when we're walking it out in a physical realm or the physical reality of the earth, we look different. We act different. We become different. We become like the culture of heaven and we begin to influence the cultures of this world. And we always say that this, the way this thing starts, it starts in a moment. And so we want God to have a moment with you today. We want God to have a moment with you this morning that he touches your life, that he changes your life. And we want that moment to be so profound, so impactful that you will never be the same. But we don't want it to stay a moment. We want it to happen in a moment, but we want it to start a movement in your life that will abide for weeks, months, and years to come. Because if we're going to influence cultures, if we're going to change societies, it's not going to be because we have a moment. It's because we have a moment that we figure out how to host the culture in the presence of God so well that it starts into a movement that it doesn't just happen one Sunday, but it happens on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and goes not just for a week, but for a month, for six months. For a year, for a decade, for two decades, and for 50 years down the line, we see a whole culture changing because the body of Christ has brought the culture of heaven to this earth. And you don't change culture overnight. You change culture over time. And so therefore, we must be making a profound influence on the culture of this earth, the realm of this earth, with the culture of heaven. But it can't be just a moment. It has to start in a moment. We've got to have that moment with the Father that everything changes 
But then we got to figure out in that moment, how do we make it into a movement? How does it sustain? How does it abide? How do we move forward in that? So the whole purpose of this series is to get the culture of heaven to this place called earth so we can change the culture of this earth into a place that, 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 is, that we call home. And we know this, that home is where the presence of the Father is. And so we want the Father to be felt at home here just as he is in heaven. And so we want to host that presence very well. And last week we talked about, the this title of the message was Reality. And in that um, message, Reality, we showed a video clip. And we showed a video clip of a scene in The Matrix where uh, Morpheus comes to Neo and he's offering him the red pill or the blue pill. And he says, if you take this, I'll show you the truth of the reality of what you're really living in. But if you take this, you can go to bed and wake up tomorrow morning and think whatever you want to. The problem is many times when Christians take the blue pill, they go to bed after a Sunday, wake up on a Monday and think whatever they want to. But God's saying, I'm ready for you to enter into a new reality. I'm ready for you to take the truth of my word, the truth of more than just my word, the truth of me, and come into the knowledge of me. And so I can show you the truth of the realm or the reality that you live in and bring a new reality to your reality. And we went through that message and we want the Father to bring a new reality to us so we can do all that he's called us to do. And so I ended last week's message with this point and it says, can you trust him? Can you trust him? If we're going to enter into a new reality, can you trust him with your inabilities, what you do not know and what you cannot see and what has not been revealed to you, as much as your abilities, your pieces, those things you do know and those things that have been revealed to you? And I've used this phrase throughout this series, can you trust him moving forward in what you'll only be able to see looking backwards? And for the past three weeks, not including last week, we always focused on the backward things that after we move forward a ways, we can turn around and look back and say, oh, that's what God is doing. And we've been looking back on our pieces and how God's aligned our pieces that weren't broken, that, that weren't broken and they just uh, needed assembly required and he's brought us to this place in life but now it's time for believers to say I'm ready to enter into a new reality a greater reality and I'm ready to move forward into this new reality that God's got me in and so can we trust him moving forward can we trust him with our inabilities what Joel doesn't know what Joel's not qualified for, what I don't have planned out, what hasn't been revealed to me yet, the, the steps of faith of I don't know how we're going to get to where God's called us to be five years from now. I just know we're going to move forward and one day we're going to get there because he's called me to there and I'm going to have to do it even though I know I have inabilities. There's things I don't know, but I'm going to trust him moving forward because he's God and that's faith. And I'm going to trust him moving forward with my inabilities but many of us, we don't move until we know the next step. But what happens when you don't know the next step? If you stop, you're going to end up finding yourself in a place of complacency and forgottenness and wondering, God, are you still there? When God never intended you to stop, can you trust him? Can you trust him moving forward with your inabilities? What you don't know, what hasn't been revealed to you, what you're not sure about, what you're not qualified for. Can you trust him with your inabilities so he can work through you with his abilities? Can I trust him with my inabilities moving forward? And then I'll be able to see looking backwards that he had it the whole time. And so we're moving forward. Everybody say, I'm moving. Everybody say, I'm moving. You're moving forward to a new reality in your life. And I want this to be such a reality in your life that you realize that it's okay to take a step not knowing to take a step with your inabilities, to take a step when you're not really sure, to take a step of faith and trust him. 
I want you to know that's okay, and it's more than okay. It should be the lifestyle of a believer living outside the world reality, but in the kingdom reality of God, of saying, I'm going to move forward, even though it's not easy sometimes, even though it's not like I planned it sometimes. Can you trust him moving forward? And I've heard this said a lot of times, Pastor, what about the times when I don't know, or the things in life are just too much, and the things going on are are, are just not what I can handle? We've got to understand this. God is trying to do one thing with our life, and, and this is it. He's making you into more than you. He's making you into more than you. He's making you like him. See, a lot of people are like, well, Pastor, I don't know. It's too much. I can't handle it. I know he's trying to make you into more than you. He's trying to make you like him. And a lot of people say, oh, I want to be just like Jesus. No, you don't. Start walking on water if you do. He's trying to make you into more than you. He's trying to make you like him. A lot of people say, I would love to lay my hands on sick and be like Jesus. Well, go do it. He's making you into more than you. He's making you into him. And shouldn't the world get more than us? Shouldn't it be getting him? Because I've been crucified. Christ and I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives within me. We love to say it, but the truth of the matter is they're getting more of me than they are of him when they should be getting more of him than they are of me. So in my times of inabilities, God's trying to make me into more than me. He's trying to make me into like him. And that ought to be something we smile about as believers. So the next time a test comes your way and people say, well, you know, God's not going to put more on you than you can handle. That's the biggest lie you've ever been told. Because if you can handle it, you don't need God. But in that moment, when you can't handle it, when it's too much, when it's more than enough, you need to stand up and celebrate. He's making me into more than me. He's making me into like him. And we need to celebrate those moments instead of running from them moments. This will define who we are over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years as a church if we will celebrate those moments of inabilities. Because then we're truly trusting in him Moving forward, and what we'll be able to see looking back, that he didn't just make us a church, he made us like him. He made us like him. And so now we jump into today's of ideals or realities, and there's a scripture passage in Matthew chapter 25, and it's the parable of the talents, and I'm just going to paraphrase through it as we go. It's the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. When, when I load my blog tomorrow, or Tuesday morning, you'll be able to read all the scriptures that are printed out in my message, but I want us to, to realize this. Many of us have ideals of walking in the kingdom of heaven culture. But that's all it is. It's ideals. It has not become a reality. But we have to enter into a new reality. A lot of us like the idea of laying our hands on sick and watching them recover. And it's a great, you you say it like this, it's a great theology, but it's really not a reality in my life. A lot of us have great ideals of doing the things Jesus did, walking the way Jesus walked, uh, living the lifestyle of Jesus. And it's a great ideal, but we got to enter into a reality of it. It can't just be talk. We can't just say, wow, that sounds great at church and be inspired by it. If it doesn't inspire us enough to move forward into change, it wasn't inspirational at all. It was emotional, but not inspirational. So we must begin to realize, if we're really going to enter into this new reality, what we say, what we do, how we live has to become more than ideals. And in the story of the talents, there was the master, and he called three servants to him, and he said, he gave one, uh, he, I'm going to phrase it like this, you got number one, number two, and number five, okay? 
To the man he gave one talent, we're going to call him number one. To the one man he gave two talents, according to his abilities, we're going to call him number two. And to one man he gave five talents, according to his abilities, and we're going to call him number five, okay? We're going to start with number one. Everybody say number one. And so this morning, as we kick this off, number one, the guy, he looked at this, and, and, and we know the story. The, the master gave him a talent, and he went, and he hid it in the ground, and he came back, and he brought it to his master, and he gave it to his master, and he said, here is what you gave me. And the master said, you wicked and unfaithful servant. And he took what he had and gave it to the one who had ten. We'll get to number five here in just a minute. See, people who live in ideals about their Christian faith and not reality of who we are and truly called to be in Christ are literally people of the number one. You're the people who have been given a measure, a talent, a, a something. You've been given a number one. But with that number one, we look at the command of the number one and he said multiply it. And as we look at the command, we look at the command is impossible. We look at the command and we look at it and we say, why would he do this to me? And the guy in the parable of number one, he questioned the goodness of the master. Because when he gave him the one, he went and hid it in the ground. And when the master returned, this is what he said. He questioned his goodness. He said, I knew you were a hard man. I knew you sowed where you, or, or you reaped where you haven't sown. And he began to say all these things about the master. And so the guy who was number one, he was given a talent. He was given a gift and he was told to multiply it. But in his fear of moving forward, he hid it. And so he had the ideals. He was obviously, get this, trustworthy enough for the master to give him the talent. So he had earned something with his ability. But the problem is, just like many believers... Our abilities do not equate to our reality. Our abilities many times equate to our ideals because God gives us things and we just hold them or we bury them or when God calls us to use them, we respond like this, oh God, why would you do this to me? Oh God, this is so hard. Oh God, if you were good. Oh God, if... If you really love me. Come on. A lot of us, we have abilities that don't re equate to reality. We have abilities that equate to ideals. Because when somebody else is going through your same problem, you just say, oh, praise him in the storm, baby. It's okay. <laughs> right? But when you're in the storm, you don't understand my storm. <laughs> Why would God bring me the storm? <laughs> right? See, your ideals don't equate to reality. And many believers are number one Christian believers. Great abilities. They have great knowledge of the word on the inside of them. They even have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in them. But when it comes to making their theology a reality, their theology is really only ideals. It's just in their head. And he questions the wisdom of the master. And he makes wrong assessments of the master. Because if you'll notice number two and number five... They never said the master was hard. They never questioned the wisdom of the master. They, in fact, never questioned the master at all. They were even praised by the master when the master came back. So let's look at number two and number five just for a second. Or, excuse me, I'm fin let me finish up with number one. People with the number one mentality, instead of pursuing him, 
gaining knowledge of him, we've talked about this Ephesians, to, the, to fulfill his commandments, they put him out of sight and they go about their own business. See, a lot of us, God entrusts us with something, and this, as the parable goes, the master left. God entrusts us with something and the master left, and instead of the knowledge that we have of him to fulfill the commands, we put them out of sight and go about our own business until Sunday comes. And then we get it back out. Say, Jesus, here you are. And then Monday comes. Put it out of sight. Go about my business. Till Wednesday comes. Here we are. Put it out of sight. Go about my business. Sunday's back. Do, do we see a lot of us with what God's given us? We put it out of our sight and we go about our own business. The danger of this type of person is type number one people are people really doing this. They're people ignoring God while pretending to serve him. It's people ignoring God while pretending to serve him. It's people God's entrusted stuff with. And God said, go do my business. But when he returns, we give him what he gave us. So in reality, all our life we've been ignoring God while pretending to serve him. I shudder to ask this question and... and Churches in America for one reason, because a lot of times the answer is zero. How many multi-generation Christians have you created? Where you led somebody to the Lord, they led somebody to the Lord, they led somebody to the Lord, and they led somebody, a five-generation Christian. How many two-generation Christians do we have? That you led somebody to the Lord, and they led somebody to the Lord. How many four-generation Christians do they have? That you led somebody to the Lord, they led somebody to the Lord, they led somebody to the Lord, and they led somebody to the Lord. See, a lot of us were this number one. We ignore God while we're pretending to serve him. Because many times in Christianity in America, there is no multi-generational Christianity. It's I was born again. I went to church. I got filled with the power of God. I had a great time at worship service. I'm going to heaven one day. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. He's a good, good father. But if there is no multi-generationalness to us, Many times we fall in the category of number one. We ignore God while pretending to serve him. And I don't want to use salvations as the only qualification is multi-generationalness. Don't, don't, don't get hung up on that. But I do want you to get hung up on this. How many multi-generational healings have you seen? That you laid your hands on somebody and that got healed, and, but then they started doing it. Because remember, we, we've said this through the series and we'll hit it on today. What you understand, you value. What you value, you steward. What you steward, you Multiply. So how many multi-generational gifts have you seen or fruit of the Spirit have you seen in your life? Because a lot of times we enter into number one and we have this great ideal of Christianity and abiding and being a kingdom person and doing the will of the Father and fulfilling the Great Commission. And we have these great ideals, but do they translate into reality where people are born again, set free, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we see a kingdom advancement because of the one thing we were given, we made it happen. Do we ever see it? We must begin to see this perspective from differently. Everybody say number two. Everybody say number five. Hey, I'm not banging on you. Y'all can smile a little bit. Y'all just got real quiet and like, I'm just trying to bring a new reality to you, okay? Everybody say number two. Everybody say number five. 
hey, these two, number two and number five, they were acting like their master. They were aware that when their master was gone, they represented him. Are we aware that when Jesus is not physically here on this earth, we are what represents him? We as the body of Christ are what, we, what represent Jesus Christ. And in this time and in this moment, while we're here in this morning and, and we're sitting here in this worship service, we are the very representation of Christ himself. Number two and number five, they understood this concept. And when they understood this concept, they realized, hey, our master said, here's two talents or here's five talents. They didn't gripe about who got more. Give me an amen. They didn't gripe about who had the greater abilities. Give me an amen. Well, they didn't complain that, oh, I only got two and he got five. They were given according to their ability. And they graciously received it. But the master said, baby, I'm out for a time. And they knew when he was gone, it was their job to represent him while he was gone in the affairs that were going on in the kingdom that he was over. Jesus is interceding for us in heaven right now. We have the Holy Spirit, and we are the ones who are supposed to be number twos and number fives taking care of the kingdom here on earth while he's gone. And we got to begin to understand that if we don't take care of the kingdom that he's given us, we're going to miss all that he has for us. They endeavored to rise to the master's level of doing business. That's a good phrase. Have you endeavored to rise to Jesus' level of doing business? Have we endeavored to rise to a level that Christ operated in and on? Because we love the ideal of Jesus saying, you'll do greater things than these. But the reality is, we're not really doing greater things than these yet. Come on. Hey, I'm banging my game up here this morning too. I haven't walked on water yet. I try every time I step in the shower and it doesn't work. So I hit the tile. Come on. This isn't trying to bang somebody's game up. What it is, is trying to get us to realize that we aren't walking in a reality. We're walking in an ideal many times. And if we don't change our ideals to match the abilities and our abilities to, to manifest into reality, we're missing something. We must be, having, be becoming into a reality of these things. Faithful sons do not get caught up in the trap of how they're going to fulfill the Father's plan. Faithful sons do not get caught up in the trap of how we're going to fulfill all God's plan. We just trust him moving forward with our inabilities, what we'll be able to see looking back. I'm not so concerned about how I'm going to fulfill everything God's called me to fulfill. I'm concerned with am I keeping on moving forward? Because if I keep moving forward, he's going to get me to my destiny as I'm moving forward. I'm not worried about how it's going to get done. I'm going to keep moving forward and let him use me to get it done. Come on now we got to begin to move forward. Faithful sons, and I changed it from servants and slaves to sons because your son's in the father's house. Amen? Go back and listen to the home series if you didn't listen to it. You're in chair one. Your son's in the father's house. Faithful sons aren't concerned with how we're going to complete all this. We're concerned with God move even in my inabilities to complete all this. And he will lead us and guide us through every step of the way. Sons are not looking for what's missing. They're looking for what's possible. Faithful sons, twos and fives, aren't looking for what's missing. We're looking for what's possible. I'm not looking for what's missing out of this church. I'm looking for what's possible with this church. I'm not looking for what's not, who's not here. I'm looking for who is here and who can we equip and empower to be twos and fives and go and change the kingdom uh, of this earth for the kingdom of the Father. Amen. 
I'm, I'm tired of churches always looking at what they don't have, the finances that aren't there, the people that God didn't bring them. Let's start looking at who God did bring us. Let's start looking at what we do got in our own pockets. Let's start pulling out our own hammers and nails and building something. Let's make something happen. If we keep looking at what we don't have, we're going to miss what's possible for what God's bringing us into. And how many of you know that we say it all the time, don't you know God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise? If God's going to do a movement and he's going to do it through Joel, he's using the foolish things of the world. That's for dadgum sure. And I have people tell me all the time, I don't know how you're doing what you're doing way out there in the middle of nowhere because it's him doing it. It's him. And so we must begin to understand that faithful sons are not looking for what's missing. They're looking for what's possible. And they're doing it, listen to this, before they've even tried it. See, a lot of people are afraid to try because they don't know what's going to happen. They're looking for what's possible even before they tried the impossible. See, I'm looking for what's possible so I can take a next step even before I've tried. But here's the even better thing. Faithful sons are, are, are looking for what's, what's possible more than much, what's missing even after they've fallen. They'll get back up and try again. Your one failure doesn't count you out. It's just another piece that needs to be assembled. Your one failure does not disqualify you. Your 20 failures don't disqualify you. Your 15 million failures don't disqualify you. But faithful sons, faithful people in the house of God, faithful people are looking at what's possible, not what's missing, even after they've tried before and have been unsuccessful because we realize God's not trying to, God's not trying to do something to me. He's trying to make me like him. And the more I get up, even after the more I've fallen, God's going to begin to show himself faithful just because I'm continuing to move forward. And there's a phrase that a lot of people use and, and don't, don't make theology out of it, but it represents the point. If you're going to fall, fall forward. If you're going to fall, fall moving forward. Don't be running backwards and fall. Don't be in retreat mode. If I'm going to stumble and fall, it's because I'm going forward. It's not because I'm looking backwards. Don't build theology out of falling forward because I don't even want you falling. Give me an Amen. But if I've fallen and I've fallen in the past, I'm falling forward. Because I'm going to move forward in what I don't understand, in my inabilities and the problems that I'm at, to see God do something that, that, that I've never seen him do. So in your life, if we were making this, this message, this, ide this thing that we say is an ideal into a reality, God's blessed us according to our abilities, we've got to begin to understand that when he gave the man two, and when he gave him five, the man brought back double, and the man who brought back five brought back double and gave him ten, and the Bible says this, well done, my good and faithful servants. Because they were faithful with what they had even in the midst of the inabilities when the master was gone to move forward and to expand the kingdom. Now here's the test. What we understand, we value. What we value, we steward or manage well. What we steward or manage well, we multiply. What we multiply, we have authority over. I've said that a lot of times and um, I've used this term. God's going to put you into managing, uh, managing and the first thing you're going to manage is you're going to manage yourself, Right? You thought you were managing things, and God says, no, you're managing your pieces. 
Can you trust him with your pieces? Can you bring him your pieces? Can you bring him what, what he's called you to do? Can you bring him all the pieces of your life? And we got to understand that as we're managing the pieces of our life, we had an um, uh, illustration here a couple weeks ago with a table here, and we had uh, uh, Jeff as God building, building something out of Legos with the instruction book over there, and we realized this, that if we're going to be doing what God says do with our pieces, it's going to take his presence, and his presence what is empowers his principle or his word, so the presence empowers his principles that begins to put our pieces together to find purpose in what we're doing and who we're called to be. And so if it's his presence that empowers his principles, that assembly requires our pieces, and we're supposed to be first good stewards or managers over our pieces, what that really means is you must be very cautious and be a great manager of the presence of God because his presence empowers your principles that empowers your pieces. Okay? Do, do you catch all that? And so... In his managing of his presence, managing doesn't mean controlling his presence. It means in everything I do, I'm aware of his presence. In, in, in my moving forward, I'm aware of his presence. I'm aware of my surroundings with him. I, I'm not going to move crazy quick and, and leave God behind. I'm going to be listening to where God says move. And so, so when I manage his presence, I'm not controlling his presence. What I'm saying is I'm going to be very faithful and steward and host his presence on my life and in my life very well. Because if I host his presence on my life and in my life very well, it's going to empower his principles to do something with my pieces. And I'm responsible over my pieces to bring them into his presence so his principles can make my pieces. Do we understand the triangle here? And so as we do this moving forward, we got to understand that Ephesians says this, that the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So God wants you to know all about him, not just know him, know the depths of him. Having your eyes of your heart open or enlightened that you may know what is the hope that which he's called you. And I've said what we, what we understand we value, what we value we steward or manage well, what we steward or manage well we multiply, what we multiply we have authority over. So what do we understand? God wants us to get us to a place of understanding and that's why I said I want to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Value means you put great worth on it. And I'm going fast through this because I've already recapped this in previous messages. Value means to put great worth on it. He wants you to put great worth on the hope of which he's called you to. He wants you to put great worth on yourself, on your pieces, so that you would know the hope that which he has called you to. And so what we understand, he wants to bring us to a greater understanding. He wants to give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So we'll value his presence in our life and he'll be able to do what he wants to with his pieces. So we'll know the hope that which he's called us to. And what we value, we manage or steward well. And here's what we manage or steward well. It's his presence. And listen, our greatest test is not doing what we're told. Listen, our greatest test is not doing what we're told, but it's how we operate when we're not doing what we're told. Or it's how we operate when not being told what to do. Our greatest test is not doing what we're told. A lot of people are like, well, when God tells me something to do, I'll go do it. No, the greatest test is doing what we know to do when we're not being told to do it. See, a lot of people in this Christian world, well, God just tell me something to do. He has. He's given you the Bible. He said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Dad, gum it, just volunteer and get involved is what he's saying. Amen. <laughs> See, it, the greatest test is not doing what we're told to do. If God still has to treat you like a baby and tell you every step of the way, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. 
Our greatest test is not being told what to do. It's what are we doing without being told what to do? See, if you've never managed before, you've never had to make decisions without being told what to do that affect hundreds of people under you. So management people and what you steward, manage well, multiplies under you. Managers understand this concept. It's not what we're told to do. It's what decisions am I going to make without knowing what to do and what the economy holds that's going to affect all these people. So I, I got to trust him in even what I'm not told to do moving forward. And, and I understand if you're in, in law enforcement, you understand that. you got to make decisions. If you're in the police department and you're leading, you got to make decisions that affect the lives of people after you. And the greatest test we're ever going to face is not doing what we're told to do, but it's how we manage the presence of God on our own. It's how we operate with the presence of God in our life on our own. And I want to read you a story. It's kind of one of the weirdest stories in the Bible to me. But it makes perfect sense with this. It's in 2 Kings 13, 15 through 20. And Elisha said to him, take bow and arrows. And so he took the bow and arrows and he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands and said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. Now, now listen, the king did perfect because Elisha's hands were on the bow and he told him every single thing to do. And so he did it. And so being told what to do, this wasn't the test. He said, and he shot, and he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, and the arrow of victory over Syria is what that was. For you shall fight the Syrians until you have made an end unto them. See, it's not hard to do what you're told to do and get the responses you're told to get. But the next part of the story. And he said, take the arrows, and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with him. And he struck the ground three times and stopped. The man of God was angry and said to him, you should have struck the ground five times or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you have made an end to them. But now you will only strike down Syria Three times. Remember now, we're walking into a brand new reality. What does the second part of that story mean? Why would God even put him to that test? Why didn't God just tell him to strike the ground five or six times? Because God is not wanting to see what you'll do when he tells you what to do. He's wanting to see how far you'll take the presence and come into his presence on your own. He says, I want to see how deep your passion for me really is. I want to see how great your stewarding ability really is. And I want to see if you're going to stop when it's convenient at three because you think three is good enough. Or are you going to go on to five or six times and go, deep into my presence. See, the, the, the thing about God is, is he's not trying to always tell you what to do. He's trying to empower you enough that you'll love him greatly, that you'll go to the depths without him telling you to go into the depths. See, I, I don't want God always having to say, Joel, come into my presence. Joel, come into my presence. Joel, come into my presence. Dad, come there ought to be enough passion in me to say, I'm getting into his presence. <laughs> He doesn't have to ask me to come. I'm not taking the arrow and striking it three times. Let's strike it five times, seven times, ten times. Let's show God that we don't want to wait for you to tell us to come into your presence. God, we're coming in. We're moving in to bless you. And there's a lot of church that struggle with this concept because we so are used to living in Old Testament religion where we want the Ten Commandments of do's and don'ts when God says, why do you want ten rules to govern you when you got my spirit without measure to walk you into the kingdom in the power of God? We would rather have ten commandments so we know we're doing right and wrong. 
instead of having the presence of God and knowing the fullness of the Father. Oh, I want the fullness of the Father. Give me an arrow. I'll strike it on the ground a hundred times. But see, it's easy for me to say that because I know the answer. Tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, there will be a test of passion that I don't know the answer to. And God's going to say, how deep are you going to go? How deep are you going to take me? How far are we going with this thing? It's up to you, Joel. I'll go as far as you want to go. I'm God. I'm inexhaustible. You can't exhaust my ends. And so that's the test that I'm in. It's the new reality that I'm walking in. A better illustration of it is this. People always say, Joel, your kids are great. You got great kids. The fact of the matter is, is I know they act great right now because daddy still tells them what to do. And if they don't, then mama tells them what to do. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> daddy still tells them what to do. I know they act like good kids now. The truth of the matter is, is when they turn 21, 22, 23, and daddy is not there telling them what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. They got to think for themselves and their actions on their own. That will tell me if, my raised, if I raised good sons or not. My sons are great right now. Of course they are. I'm still telling them what to do. I'm giving them instruction. I'm not letting them wander in the street by themselves to figure out if it's okay. But there's going to be a day when they're driving to college by themselves and they're going to have to use the judgment of their daddy that he's given them even though I'm not there physically to tell them to say this is right or wrong and I'm going to obey him even though I physically don't know he's here. It's the same thing in the presence of God. There's a day when God says, Joel, make decisions even though you don't feel me. You know that I'm here. I'm going to trust your judgment because I've trained you. You've been in my presence. How far are you going to take it, buddy? That will prove if I am faithful in the kingdom of God. Faithfulness isn't proven by me doing what God says to do and what not to do. Faithfulness is proven by God saying, here's five talents. I want to see what you do with it. He didn't tell the man to go make five more, but the man went and made five more. He didn't tell him to make three more. He just went and made five more. He brought back to him. And I bring all that up to close with this. There's another parable in the Gospel of Luke. And going into it, we're talking about what we understand, we value, what we value, we steward or manage well, and we must begin to manage and steward the presence of God well. What we manage or steward well, we multiply. And a lot of people have equated this parable in Luke to the exact same as the one in Matthew, but it's similar, but there's some differences. And they use the term mina, and mina is three months' wages. And this parable says that, that the master brought ten servants to him, not three, but ten servants to him, and gave them a mina each. And when they came back, one man brought back ten, one brought back five, or one brought back five, yeah, and the other brought back none because he buried it. But the, the, the results were different in this parable. The results of this parable where you brought back 10, 10 minas, which is 30 months wages, when I gave you one, I give you 10 cities. You brought back five, I give you five cities. You brought back none, take even what you have and give it to the one who has 10. Why do I bring up this parable? What's the significance of it? Because about three, uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago now, I asked this question, are we useful or are we necessary? 
What is the role of TWBC in our region? The sobering fact is, is that we're very useful, but the question is, are we necessary? The sobering fact is this, that if TWBC did not exist tomorrow, hungry people would still get fed, people's electric bills would still get paid that are poor, and a lot of things would still happen even if TWBC didn't exist. We're very useful. There would be a, a definite uh, missing of TWBC, but are we necessary? Are we necessary? What becomes our mandate? What is our driving force at TWBC? And this is where I'm pulling together the past five weeks of messages. So if you're here, new here today, go get all the CDs or podcasts and catch up on it. But here's where I'm pulling it all together because I ask, are we useful and are we necessary? And what is going to make us necessary? What are our gold coins that we're going to give to the, to the world around us? And I brought up this verse in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 61 verse 4 and it's B and it says, they shall repair or redeem or make new the ruined city and redeem and make new the devastations of many generations. Now, I just said the man that was given 10, he didn't let him keep the 10 months, uh, 30 months of wages, the, 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 the minus, the 10 minus. He gave him 10 cities. What we got to catch here is when we host the presence of God well with the pieces that we have, and we understand that we need to grow in knowledge of him. So we, we understand what God's trying to do. We understand his presence and we're going to steward it well. So what we understand, we value. We put great worth on it. What we value, we, we steward or, multi, or manage well. And that's his presence. What we manage or steward well multiplies. And what God is trying to do is bring all of our pieces together under his presence, directed by his principles, because we manage our pieces to multiply who we are, to bring it back to him. Not so we can say, God, look at the great work, but so he can give us a Authority over cities. Father, let him understand the depths of what I'm trying to say. Because right now they're, hear, they're hearing ideals. When they don't realize God's called them to steward cities, not just individuals. Individuals. 